Goodness, what a what a world we live in, huh? What a ride it's been. What a Synth- time to be alive. Mm-hmm. How are you doing today, Seth? Pretty good. You saying that made me remember that apparently they're Drake and Future have that second "What a Time to Be Alive" mixtape somewhere. I mean, that it would be a time to drop that right now. I think now would be they could save save it all they could solve all the problems in the yeah. world when everyone's if like they... cutting off all new media intake exactly big rings too is what will save us diamonds dancing honestly that was my favorite song off that mixtape i think diamonds dancing it yeah it's pretty good emotional sort of cloud rap anyways it's been a while since we've done an episode yeah we're actually uh recording a little differently than we did with all of our previous episodes where we record, edit, and, and publish it just, you know, whenever we can. But, yeah, you know, I mean, we yeah. haven't recorded one in a while. We're recording one now, but not publishing it for a second. Just, you know, to try not to pollute internet and information feeds too much. Uh, yeah, when they're just kind of feeling out the moment, I think. Definitely. There's plenty of important work to be done uh, right now, but... I mean, obviously not everybody's doing that work all the time. Everyone always needs, you know, breaks and things like that. So we decided also we wanted to to record a new podcast anyway, because we'd kind of been doing some research and talking about it for a second. But also, I mean, there are plenty of people have reached out to us and said they they were looking forward to hearing another one. So, yeah, I think we, you know, we first a couple of weeks ago, we felt like it was not the time. And now it's maybe things are a little less icy um, in that regard. But it's funny because I remember when like quarantine happened, we were kind of like, oh, like now we have a lot of time at home. Like we'll probably like create. I was like, oh, we're going to like make a surplus of new episodes and just like. Yeah, we're going to have so much time to research everything. Content just constantly. Yeah. And that didn't happen. Uh, I mean, first of all, I think we just got I think we were both probably maybe burned out in different ways and. 
whatnot and all that. And it takes a lot of effort sometimes. And Definitely. But also, I mean, we both had like distractions and like things that we felt were maybe more worthy over time happening on a yeah. local level for us. So Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the kind of uh, uprising has happened. Yeah. And couldn't really think about anything else for a minute. Yeah, so. exactly. And especially being, I don't know, a podcast where we are often reflecting on like depictions of violence in the media or state power or other means of like, I don't know, or propaganda, you know, I feel like it was also kind of important to just, you know, be sensitive about releasing a new episode. I don't know. You yeah. Know, Cause it's just like makes you eh, think about media differently. Um, a lot of what's been going on and like, you know, just like thinking about like watching things with cops in them or other kinds of, you know, it doesn't even have to be like a depiction of actual police brutality, but just any kind of violence sometimes like when the, what happens in the world that's happening right now. Uh, it's like, it changes your perspective, I think on a lot of things. So I think, we were maybe both kind of working through that too. And just like, how do you watch stuff when there is so much happening and when everything happening feels like kind of about images in a way, you know? Yeah. There's always moments just, I mean, they can be caused by anything, but whenever like maybe you watch more action movies and maybe it becomes less allegorical and more reflective of a lot of what you see elsewhere and a lot of like, I don't know whether it's cell phone recordings or nonfiction news reporting. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. that can just like change how you see it and maybe make you not want to watch as much. Yeah. I mean, especially I think in the kind of like transmedia environment that we often inhabit oh, the multi-screen experience. Yeah. Just like so much of the sort of uh, quote unquote fictional media that we intake has this sort of overlap and reflexivity with like non-fictional media. And there's just oftentimes a lot of lines that are blurred. I mean, something that we talked about last episode was like, oh, you know, a pandemic happens and then you start watching movies and playing games and you realize how much media is about fucking pandemics. And I've yeah. just kind of been noticing casually, like, I mean, it's not what this episode <laughs> is really like specifically about, but you know, I feel like it's kind of tangentially related, but I've just been noticing like how many just kind of casual moments in, in every kind of genre of movie of, of, of specifically in America. But I mean, I think you could look to other national cinemas too, but specifically talking about American media, just how many moments of like, not even always brutality, but just like police, like uh, abusing their power and authority, just how casual that is and how that's often played for comedy. You know, like, I don't know, I was watching like Grown Ups 2 and it has like Shaq as like a cop who goes kind of crazy. And then like this other cop, his, his partner is like wearing like skis and jet ski, like jets. He's, he's like jet skiing on a roof or something like while drunk and this officers like oh like i'm the law like i can do this because i'm the law and it's just you know it's just like a gag um but it's also like now i just you watch something like that and it's just kind of like oof like that's just a trope of our world that like cops constantly abuse their power and authority and harm yeah the people they claim to protect i mean i 
think it was like on the theme park episode also, but I mean, we've also talked about how a lot of early cinema, like easy gags and like a lot of common like slapstick situations are made around police being maybe antagonistic or engagements with the police and running away from Mm -hmm. them. That's uh, kind of an early cinema trope as well. And a lot of those comedies, I mean, there's like an intended catharsis, you know, and a sort of middle finger to like authority or the state or, or I mean, it's made, it's made to get a positive reaction out of a room full of people who aren't police officers. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, I think it becomes more complicated over the, the century since then of like, so often we're asked to identify with the police or like, or I mean, I don't know, you know, shading over into games, you know, to literally play as the police. Um, or if not like, you know, local or, or county police or whatever, like, you know, the like America, Team America World Police, you know, the like international uh, imperial apparatus that polices the whole entire fucking world we live on. Yeah. Or I mean, the same with, you know, film and and television people are you know fascinated with violence and most of the time the way to ground that in a way that people don't feel is just you know awful and degrading our youth and everything is to maybe put a frame of um whether it's local police doing this or local police having to respond to this violence and and checking it and holding people accountable for it uh the same thing happens in video games where i mean a lot of games and like a lot of like gamers do love violence i mean that's like one of the core mechanics Mm -hmm. of video games from the beginning is violence and i'm not saying that games should like never be violent or that it's always senseless and maybe never has anything that it explores in that violence but most of the time video games are made on or the thing that makes them alluring is being able to do things without consequences yeah yeah, yeah, real world consequences and so i mean violence is that but in the same way you know framing it within you know just in the shit in the military having to do this having the like the the license to kill you know like acceptable murder acceptable yeah. crimes actually yesterday i was talking to someone about ludo narrative dissonance but having to tie the, the ludic contract of you know shooting a bunch of people and them shooting you so you have to do it to survive with the narrative frame of damn of that this is all i mean old stuff but speaking of video games and things reflecting reality and pandemics i do have a copy of the last of us 2 that oh god about to get started up my ps4 and i don't know go ahead no 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 you go ahead i was gonna wrap this up and transition to the the main topic but same same all right. Well, I mean, I guess that's that's enough of talking about the thing everybody's probably listening to a podcast to stop thinking about. But we yeah. do in the description of this episode have a couple organizations that we think are worth researching and donating to, and then some educational resources too. If you want to, you know, read more about maybe some some conversations that people are having now, but have been had for a long time. Yeah, yeah. If you want to, you know, circulate some PDFs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we got we'll those get that going in the description of this, if you want to take a look at that and maybe find a way to, to help or educate on your own time. But this episode, we're speaking, I guess, of military violence and, and (laughs) the panopticon. 
Yeah, we're we've All talked a little bit before shit. about playing uh, some Call of Duty Warzone, but we're going to be kind of talking about yeah. uh, the battle royale phenomenon that's been happening over. I mean, in games since maybe I think 2016, mm-hmm. 2017 was when PUBG became very very popular, and then Fortnite. But um, I mean, the battle royale genre of movie and of literature as a whole has been going for a little while obviously like the namesake being the japanese film from 2000 battle royale yeah yeah and there's a sort of you know antecedent in like physical combat sports too like i was recently watching one of john boyce's video essays i think it was the bob emergency and he mentions that there is like a battle royale like boxing style which is basically something like the kind of like WWE Royal Rumble, where you just have a bunch of dudes in the ring swinging at each other, as opposed to just two one-on-one combatants. Yeah. Um, but it does feel like very the um, sort of the current incarnation of the genre and like how it exists in games does feel very influenced by that movie specifically. And I feel like that movie is such a like you know IMDb like internet cult kind of phenomenon that it probably was seen by a lot of developers definitely but it also it's interesting to talk about reflecting reality just because call of duty often reflects reality in a lot of ways well in a way that that people are supposed to feel is invisible outside of just the graphical impressiveness of mm-hmm. you know it's the most photorealistic game i've ever seen i have that like on my copy of cod 4 like on the back of the box, it says this is the most like photo real game I've ever seen. And then 13 years later, that's still like a way that mm-hmm. those games are marketed. Um, but so the incarnation of, I guess, Battle Royale that we're talking about now in relation to the video games is, you know, you have like 100 people or so dropping onto an island where they have to loot and find guns. They're basically naked at the beginning. You have to procure the weapons on site. And then mm-hmm. you're, there's a circle, there's like a storm that shrinks on the island on a certain point and forces people together and forces confrontation so it's a last man standing type situation i figure most people know what a battle royale is yeah you know Fortnite is everywhere but yeah it's uh it's now become just like this feels like one of the essential game genres very quickly because you look at something like call of duty which has this very long history as a franchise which then released warzone which is like the same language basically as Fortnite, like it has these you know the map and the circle and these kind of tropes that like if you've played another battle royale game now you're familiar with but just within the context of the legacy of call of duty which is funny because the uh call of duty game from a couple years ago that put a battle royale in their game was uh black ops 4 which was the first call of duty to not have a single player component or at least the first numbered one and kind of mainline entry and it had this mode called Blackout. It was a battle royale. And it was not not that popular, not that great. I didn't really enjoy myself when I played it. But the the new one, Call of Duty Warzone, was released free uh, for everybody to play. And it's also cross-platform multiplayer, um, which that feature as a whole is something that developed since the start of Battle Royale, but also in part because of when Fortnite launched, people realized they were playing with players from other consoles which before then was Mm -hmm. this thing that console manufacturers said was not real like (laughs) cross-platform couldn't work but then it eventually worked because fortnite lo and behold but yeah i mean we've both been playing a good bit of warzone together and with other people 
it's approaching the point where I like feel like I've maybe played more more Warzone and just more of the modern warfare multiplayer than like any game almost ever. You know, it's yeah. like kind of at least like console game recently. Like I, I as you know, I've owned a, P- a PS4 for over a year now, and I have not played anything as close to as much as I've played this. Like I feel like uh, now it's just these like. I can't play anything else. Like I can't play a fucking single player campaign because I just want the brain zaps and the adrenaline rush of these like quick, unpredictable confrontations. Yeah. Where you have a certain amount of control, but you also have a certain amount of like sort of blindness and ignorance in terms of your, the information you have. And also, I mean, both of us have kind of been playing it with each other, but also other people as kind of a social activation for the day. Yeah. It's just, you know, the thing that friends are playing and it's just kind of an easy way to hang out and socialize. But also, I mean, battle royale games are these things where uh, people drop onto this island where, you know, all doors are closed, all vehicles are, you know, in early PUBG, like the vehicles all faced a certain cardinal direction. Mm -hmm. So whenever a vehicle was at an angle or facing a different direction, you could tell that it was touched by a player. But so much of it is figuring out kind of the history of the landscape if it's been touched if it's been not and and all the all these factors make it in part a group like puzzle solving game there is this kind of strategy that develops over the course of it and it's very collaborative in that way when you play anything outside of just a uh, everybody versus everybody mode where you have teams that's like what has been so fulfilling to me about playing it is you know i'm i kind of feel like notoriously like i have terrible reflexes and motor skills which has made me not the best social or multiplayer gamer often Mm -hmm. but i found that like in some ways playing this game so intensely has made my reflexes better and it's just very fulfilling sometimes to feel like you know your physical skills and your motor skills and your ability to respond to something quickly has like developed but also you just sort of get in sync as a team and you develop like shorthands of sort of you know, how you ping the map and maybe where you start at and like different strategies. And you just, I feel like it's been very fulfilling sort of developing between us and the other friends that we've been playing with and almost sometimes like seamless group language of like how we approach the game. And it really does feel like a sort of puzzle thing. And that's, what's so like satisfying about it is not just the adrenaline rush of like that unpredictability mixed with some, you know, familiarity. Like it's, it's all about that ratio, I think of unpredictability to, to familiarity, but that it also has that satisfaction of like accomplishing a puzzle or like finishing a kind of really intricate stealth mission, you know, in metal gear solid or something like that. It just feels like you're putting pieces together. Definitely. And also, I mean, the game is one you mentioned, maybe not being like the most skilled at like a traditional, just very direct competition multiplayer game like maybe the the other call of duty multiplayer modes that have been very popular for a long time um Mm -hmm. but with battle royales i mean it's a little bit especially when you're playing in a group it's a bit decentralized where you can kind of fluidly shift between roles where maybe just like being really good at aiming and firing and taking cover is not always your foremost yeah yeah it's not always that that role that you have to slip into you're also looting you're also spotting you're also planning out maybe the next route and it also with that team component, that's, you know, it's not fun for me really like playing solo Warzone or solo Fortnite or something really. It's not as, I mean, so I like the, I like playing Call of Duty multiplayer, like the really intense 
sort of smaller matches. Like I like playing those alone, but Warzone is just not as satisfying because it does allow you to like, because of that shifting responsibility as a team, it allows you to like take certain risks sometimes. You know, you can say like, okay, we've got two or three people who are in a secure position. Somebody else can go and like fuck somebody up and like take a risk and, and you know, maybe go into a dangerous area. Like it's just kind of fun being able to have those different play modes in the same game. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Battle Royale is, is as a game genre is kind of the first real innovation and in, like online multiplayer mm-hmm. for the first time in a while. I don't know. I mean, MMOs have been around for a while. Battle Royale is like something that's kind of only enabled by in part console hardware, in part like just network communication technology. Um, where you can have 100 people synchronously in a game together. But, I mean, that makes it a little bit challenging to present the game, though. It's very involving Mm -hmm. whenever you're in it, but it makes it a little bit difficult to portray the entire game. Yeah, it's a game where, like, just because there are so many players who can make so many possible choices, it, it can be, I think, hard to get your bearings. And it's a game really about, like, sort of, the map and you know who has kind of the most information and the most control and kind of can scout things out on the map the most like playing sort of in tandem between the map and the camera i feel like is especially crucial in battle royale games even beyond just normal map usage in in games well yeah i mean because so much of that game type is observational and interpretation Mm -hmm. and so a lot of it is seeing oh well someone's been here before or I see someone like firing over there or, you know, I see someone on my like thermal scope. Um, a lot of it is just like gathering information about it and kind of picking up the the pieces of what's happened here and mm-hmm. what can happen here and preparing for those situations as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a kind of like survivalist element to it, not in like disaster prepping survivalism, but in like, you know, tracking and sort of hunting and sur- the survival uh, wilderness that kind of stuff uh, yeah you know because so much of it isn't like okay noticing a broken window or an open crate or you know hearing footsteps hearing gunshots you know noticing these quick flashes on the map noticing the like reflection on a sniper scope in the distance and all these like details that when you start playing the game you don't really know to look for it's only through getting fucked up so many times that you start to notice them and you know i was thinking about i was thinking about how how i was like whoa it's crazy to feel this feeling of like feeling myself getting better at these physical skills or these sort of i don't know physiological like skills in you know yeah just whatever like my just how my hands and brain work in tandem with each other yeah but also in like reading what's happening on the screen and understanding yeah, yeah. like what that means. Cause that's, I mean, it's totally different from like a standard call of duty multiplayer where it is just, I don't know, aim down the gun, shoot somebody. But I mean, I guess doors are available as like opening mm-hmm. and closing and kind of ways to seal off space in this call of duty. It hadn't been before, but so much of it is just like, is there a guy to shoot at or not rather than, you know, should I actually take out this guy or should I back off? Should I, I don't know, did this person go here? Is nobody here? I mean, there's just all kinds of like other types of of things that come up from survival, whereas a normal Call of Duty like Team Deathmatch is you get killed a lot and you jump right back in. You just respawn constantly. It's just this like infinite loop of death and rebirth. And Warzone is like, 
the opposite of that where you can play most of a game sometimes with like no or minimal combat interaction. You can get pretty far in the game if you play it right without seeing anybody. You're yeah. just surviving. You're kind of camping out, shuffling along, you know, sticking to the edges, kind of finding all the nooks and crannies in the landscape. Yeah. It's like, on the one hand, it's like satisfying to feel like you're developing those skills. But on the other hand, just sort of given the cultural baggage that comes with a game like Call of Duty, I was thinking about it after we played this one match where I was like, I saw a flash of a gunshot on the map and I realized this dude was immediately behind me shooting at me. I instantly whipped around and just popped him and like took him out. And I was like, that was crazy. Like I felt like I left my body. Like I felt like a couple of years ago, that's something I never would have ever been able to do in a video game. Just that instant reflex, the epic gaming moment, literally an epic gaming moment, a privileged gaming moment. Uh, But then I was like, that's literally the purpose of like basic training, you know, military training, combat training is developing those skills, becoming more precise, becoming sharper and more in tune with like how your brain, how your hands, your feet, all those things work in tandem with each other. And so it's just kind of a like little bit of a watered down version of that sort of experience, like of becoming a battle hardened warrior, allegedly. Yeah, I mean, there's a, I mean, Call of Duty, I guess, for a long time, but before Battle Royales, like, video games had been used to to recruit for the military for a very, very long time. Yeah. But actually, I mean, that thing that you're talking about with, like, you can, like, play the game right and not see a person the whole time. Like, these are things that people initially complained about uh, when Battle Royales were starting to get more popular, is that, I mean, you can hide in a bathtub and, and make it to the end, and so then the final yeah. people may not be... I mean, the idea of the battle royale is that it's survival of the fittest. Um, but, you know, the way that one person survives versus the way another person survives are, are, are viewed differently based off of more traditional like game skill. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people complain. They're like, I'm playing so great. And this person uh, hid in a bathtub the whole game and then like shoots me as soon as I walk in the room unbeknownst. <laughs> I don't know. They'd get mad about that. Also, another thing with that game is that especially if you don't like win, um, it can be frustrating to constantly be like getting to maybe the top 10 or the top five or something like that. And then eventually you just like realize that all the work you do of going and scavenging for weapons and, you know, resources and going and doing all these tasks and gaining money to help you win the game and buy things um, is actually, I mean, it's kind of a farm system for the player that (laughs) kills you. And then they just get all of your good stuff that you worked for the whole time. So it can be a little unrewarding that way. So, I mean, that that's one way that people also over time have maybe gotten sick of this game genre um, just because it's one where your participation in the game is like part of somebody else's experience, which it always is. It always is in every game. But mm-hmm. but you feel like all the work you do gets exploited by the person that kills you. I, it's interesting because it also, though, it feels like in some ways that kind of evens the playing field a little bit as compared to like other types of multiplayer games where it just feels like at a certain point, there's just a plateau where like, these are the people who are really dedicated to the game and anybody else who tries to enter the multiplayer ecosystem just gets their ass handed to them constantly because it's just like impossible to get better at the game than these people. Whereas I feel like with battle Royale games, there's still like, just because of that unpredictability uh, and the kind of like 
potential for endless fuckery and hijinks it's like it evens it a little bit and so the whole game isn't just like this serious intense battle experience like there's just a a certain amount of zaniness which is weird and is especially weird in the context of call of duty because it's like the least zany game imaginable but it gets into this just like you play it so much i guess it's that repetition you play it so much that just these sort of strange things start happening and you start to break the game a little bit yeah definitely i mean this is part of like why um making a battle royale into an esport is a challenge Mm -hmm. because of the way that engagements are framed and manufactured by the game whereas if you do traditional like you watch a a game of call of duty esports league the cod league um, or even, I mean, you're you're playing an online multiplayer game. It's a very small contained map. And the only thing you can do is go and kill the other people. And so most of the game is spent trying to, you know, strategize, counter strategize mm-hmm. um, all these things. But it's really easy to portray it because at the end of the day, it's basically a game of like soccer or hockey where you have a camera that's looking down at a rectangle that contains everything. And even though it's like Call of Duty is like six versus six in a team deathmatch most of the time. Mm-hmm that's 12 people all together that can get in dynamic interactions at the end of it. They're going to die and just keep going. And it's easy to watch it from a top down view, but battle Royale is something where you could have like a team fighting their way through and it has a really popular like Twitch streamer or something like that on it. So the broadcast team showing this whole tournament will stick on them. They could interact with like a second group and be fighting and you frame that. But then there's mm-hmm. like maybe a third group that comes in and totally changes like the entire stakes of the entire interaction. So in a way it's like not even showing contained interactions, like a single basketball yeah. game, but you end up having a game where you have single interactions that are contained happening simultaneously all across the map. Mm-hmm. And that just is difficult to portray linearly. I mean, I think that's, it's really interesting because we mentioned earlier, you know, that like, obviously this genre has a sort of dual history. There's like the cinematic and then there's the competitive sports part of it, you know, battle Royale, the movie and then battle Royale, the like boxing style. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is I think that compared to other kinds of like esports or spectator multiplayer games, the battle Royale game genre feels like it owes more to that cinematic tradition because by being something that's observed largely through Twitch streams as opposed to like a top-down sort of perspective. It's more about, I think, like identification with the individual players as opposed to like observing the whole match and sort of identifying with the team or like identifying with just, or not even identifying at all. I mean, sometimes I feel like, I mean, obviously people have their favorite teams and stuff, but it's also possible to watch a sport as just sort of a like, I just want to see who wins and I'm not invested in it. Whereas the emotional investment and engagement of like a film is very different. And so I feel like by asking you to identify with individual players or teams in that kind of perspective way that a Twitch stream does, it sort of connects the battle Royale game genre more to like that cinematic tradition, which there is, which, you know, we'll get into, there is kind of a long history of basically battle Royales in cinema. Like, people hunting other people like it's a very it's a narrative structure that people are kind of fascinated with well so to go back to what you said about battle royale owing more to like a cinematic tradition of identification um i think 
a very easy point that I didn't think about till right now is is looking at maybe 1917 rather as a prestige single player game type of narrative. It oh, is wow. kind of repackaging World War One as a battle royale and you're just following one player through it. Mm-hmm. And so you have these interactions that are unexpected and unpredictable and you have this single unbreaking shot or appearing to be unbroken um, of images as they they just kind of journey through it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I mean, the whole thing is, is I guess most of why 1917 is compelling is because of just the unexpectedness of what's going to happen next. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think something that's really interesting because I read like a third of Paul Grillo's war in cinema because it felt like it might be relevant to this episode. Yeah. You only read war. What? Never mind. It was a bad joke. There's three words in the title. You read a third of it. So I just said you read the first word. <laughs> I just read war. That's a bad one. So he talks about how what was different with World War One is how you had just these dudes like hunkered down. I mean, obviously you had what was different was that you had trench warfare. But what was especially different about trench warfare versus like kind of continental, traditional, like elegant, you know, ge- genteel European warfare is that a lot of times like you had no idea who you were shooting at or like if you were even shooting at anyone you were just sort of firing into the trenches into the mass and you would just kind of hit people and so a lot of times these Paul Verlius is like soldiers and veterans of World War One. he talked to had no idea how many people they had killed because they just were kind of shooting into nothingness. And that feels like sometimes like the experience more of a battle royale. I mean, you have that like that feeling too a little bit sometimes in, in the other Call of Duty modes. But Warzone in particular, you're just like, at least when you are the one who gets shot, a lot of times you don't even know that someone's there. Like, you know there's a sniper or someone behind you or at a distance and you're just like totally caught unawares. So it feels like a very different kind of perspective than traditional gameplay. I don't know, but there's, but there's also to talk about, keep talking about cinema. I mean, there's just this like fascination. I feel like there's, there's so much potential for examining social issues when you have one group of human beings hunting another. And I think the big, you know, the big, most infamous version of this is the story the most dangerous game which i'm sure a lot of people read in high school i've actually never read it i've just seen adaptations of it damn well it's like you know it's been adapted so many times and it also actually entered the public domain this year um, oh wow little fact but it's considered like you know it's been called like the most popular short story ever, you know, largely just because it's been adapted so many times. I mean, you have the 1930s movie with Joel McRae. Um, you have a Quibi show of the most dangerous game right now. <laughs> you have John Woo's Hard Target and just the list goes on and on. You know, some more movies that we'll get into a little bit more specifically. Yeah, I'd say one that we didn't really plan to talk about that much, but I feel like is a good example as well as like Rambo. Oh, for sure. Like, I feel like there's definitely like non direct adaptations of the most dangerous game that are still like, oh, something to that format, like Rambo and the Predator movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Alien, I guess, too. Yeah, just a lot of those sort of I mean, in the whole string of like Rambo knockoffs, too, in the 80s, you know, that like Deadly Prey or something like that. Yeah. And I mean, actually, I mean, I would say that that structure and that formula has kind of a another adaptation in game design right now outside of just battle royales which is actually the um 
asymmetrical multiplayer game, mm-hmm. which has started or at least become much more popular over the last couple of years. It's a game set up where like Call of Duty is is a symmetrical multiplayer game where there's a conflict and on each side of it. You have symmetry of six players on each side that even though you make your own classes, everybody has the chance to are on a similar playing field um, in terms of like power and their ability to hurt the other one to the point that it's only the player who has to impact something rather than there being an inherent disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Um, but the asymmetrical multiplayer game as it, as it shows up in the recent years is one where you have a conflict where on one side you have one very powerful person, but all the power is centralized into one. And on the other side you have, you know, four or six or something people who are less powerful but Mm -hmm. together they are able to decentralize that power and arrange it in ways that may may be able to win the conflict Mm -hmm. but the way that this game actually came up was a couple years ago there was a friday the 13th video game and so this power structure and this multiplayer genre is most of the time just used to adapt like 70s and 80s kind of iconic horror icons like friday the 13th uh, the game Dead by Daylight has content packs for so many classic horror films like uh, like Halloween and even things like Stranger Things now, which emulate that era yeah. of horror. Yeah, I mean, even something like Saw is like kind of an adaptation of the most dangerous game. Definitely. You know, and because all of those all of those types of horror movies where you have one powerful force over these other f- forces that are perhaps not equipped for the the kind of menace and violence that this powerful force is wreaking. It's all, it's, I mean, like the battle Royale game, it's sort of about pushing you to your limits and like, you know, seeing you have a sort of evened out playing field of people who are basically competing against the slasher or like the horror or, or whatever. And yeah, some of them, but some of them kind of like, you know, they're forced to like in, whether it's an adaptation of the most dangerous game or just like a horror movie, it's like those people are challenged to like overcome their normal sort of presumed level of abilities. Definitely. And of course, I mean, in those horror films, you have a lot of depth for most of the time illustrating like internalized traumas, whether Mm -hmm. within the structure of being hunted or that, that overcoming you talk about. Um, But one game that's in this genre that came out actually on my birthday this year that I've been playing with some, some friends from Twitter is called Predator Hunting Grounds, which is basically an adapt and like adaptation of the first Predator movie as an asymmetrical multiplayer game. Mm-hmm. So you're in the jungle and you're this squad of troops that have your objective. Most of the time, it's like some like deniable ops stuff of like going and burning down, you know, a data center, or going and getting photographs of something, or going and sabotaging something. And then while you're going and pursuing this objective, the predator is hunting you down and trying to to kill the squad. And so there are some games where the predator doesn't engage you at all and you just do the mission mm-hmm. and it's fine. There's some where the predator is really fucking good and it like attacks you from the very beginning. It's like a battle royale where it's spontaneous in terms of like what can develop over the course of it. Mm-hmm. But then it's like in a lot of ways, like very directly adapts a lot of the feelings and pressures and emotions of the first predator movie mm-hmm. and like just not knowing what's going to happen. And these like moments of like staring into the forest and just like scanning for something that may be invisible. It may not even be there. I mean, I think that uh, asymmetrical multiplayer is maybe a good way to describe 
one of the movies that we wanted to talk about. Um, the Hunt, which came oh, out wow. this year, because that's a movie about these like less powerful people who uh, are asymmetrically stacked against the elites. The elite, uh, the liberal elites, the liberal elites. So yep. they're like the on the Soros of, payroll. They're the predator slash uh, Jason slash Jigsaw of the Hunt, which is a movie that uh, both you and I liked quite a bit, despite the the controversy, the controversy, and the generally negative reception it was met with when it finally was released into the world. Yeah, so I mean, with that movie, the real-world context is a little bit unavoidable. It was planned for a September release in 2019, uh, but then the month before that, there were shootings in El Paso and Dayton, Yeah, and it was kind of in the in a pattern of a... or a much longer pattern, especially here in the United States, of, of mass shootings. So a lot of politicians on both sides of, of maybe their party line making like a tweet storm, and then also just mm-hmm. like contacting the distributor in general even like the president tweeted about it but saying the movie should be delayed because it's about you know just willfully killing trump supporters yeah yeah and it's also worth mentioning uh produced and written by damon lindelof Mm -hmm. and also directed by homestar runner co-creator craig zobel uh what a what a combo yeah i don't want to like get incredibly into like spoiling the movie because i feel like there are still plenty of people who haven't seen it who would get a lot out of kind of like figuring it out as it goes it's also worth mentioning that this movie kind of suffered two strikes against it because first trump literally got it delayed basically and then the pandemic happened right oh i I forgot to even mention that yeah yeah uh so it was you know went to vod and i think most people didn't pay the twenty dollars yeah it. like uh neither of us did sorry sorry jason bloom sorry to not give you more money i think yeah. you're doing fine um but also it's funny that this is our second formal episode in a row about a movie that came out the last weekend theaters were open before covid and we're like oh, the yeah. first like theatrical run movies that were tried to be shown theatrically or at least at that price point on a digital platform in the home yeah, and I don't know. It's a very a prescient movie, you know. I my letterbox review, I pithily described it as Resident Evil Pizzagate, um, because not to spoil it, but it's basically about like how believing in conspiracy theories wills them into reality and makes them material. <laughs> essentially, yeah. like it's kind of nuts. Like it's literally what happened to the movie is what the movie is kind of about. Yeah, I don't want to, again, give away too much of the plot, but it is directly about how believing something that's misrepresented does manifest the misrepresentation of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I mean, the movie is the reason a lot of people wanted it delayed as well is because they thought this was this movie where Trump supporters are shown as just the most awful people in the world and worth killing. Rather than. Yeah. What, in my opinion, it turned into, which is something that that sees it is a satire. Definitely. I mean, the writers and creators even like describe it as like a political satire. Um, but it's it's pretty even handed on like demonizing just yeah. people that 
it's buzz it's throwing buzzwords at both sides of the aisle you know yeah it's definitely. like really indul i mean i think that's why it works for me is because it indulges in so many like cliches of internet speak now you know on definitely. both sides like not just not just right wing but yeah it's a movie that's very much about like the way that like people congregate on social media around both democrat and republican causes i guess yeah in the I united mean, you, states you put it in a way that i really liked after we watched it where you said that it's basically about how like twitter is a battle royale game like you know, because it's about all of these people doing combat because of the things they say online and like the things they say online kind of becoming real and becoming physically harmful and violent. And um, so it is sort of about the Internet and social media as a as a video game, which is like, yeah, you think about it, you know, you got all these bots doing cyber warfare. They're like NPCs. And yeah, you, know, you have your Twitter protagonist for the day, your Twitter avatar. Yeah, maybe on the flip side of it, just only staying within social media. I mean, even this last week, you have like Donald Trump having a rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, yeah. and then like all of the tickets being filled up and them hitting a registration capacity. The popular story is because of teenagers on TikTok and like K-pop stands. I mean, taking this like media frenzy of like, oh, this Donald Trump rally has a million tickets sold and going and and creating a sensation but then the reality of it is is totally different mm -hmm. yeah i mean it kind of it, it's interesting it's an interesting you know we'll talk about some of these other sort of most dangerous game adaptations mm -hmm. but it's an interesting one to start with because i think it shows that like the a lot of the interest in this sort of narrative structure of like people th unexpectedly thrust into situations of competitive violence where they're being hunted or forced to hunt uh, as in the case of the hunt, but it basically, so this kind of structure and like the fascination with it over, you know, a century of media is that I think it's a very ripe way to show kind of like social stratification and not just class divisions, but all kinds of divisions. You know, we look at some of the other adaptations, like you see these sort of ways that it's used to address certain social issues. Yeah. I mean, to me, the movie is like, pretty directly about the difference between physical political confrontation and digital political confrontation. Whereas you may on Twitter have, you know, the hashtag resistance or, you know, the hashtag whatever army, but for all the people they may yell at on mentions or in Facebook comments, how does that translate to, or to like a physical in-person interaction? Mm -hmm. Most of the time it's not as hostile. I feel like Drake would describe this movie as Twitter fingers turn to trigger fingers. I mean, that's literally what it is because they're like, oh, you said you wanted to like fucking kill Hillary Clinton. Well, like here's a gun. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that that's revealed pretty early on is that the people are selected for the battle royale rather than like in the Hunger Games where it's randomly selected from each of the provinces mm -hmm. or I mean, in a battle royale game, you sign up for it or in other ones where maybe it's like people selected from different walks of life. Yeah. I mean like another one, like the pest <laughs> um, with oh, John God. Leguizamo, which we watched, which is, I guess, 
I mean, there's a scene where it literally parodies Hard Target, so I feel like it's maybe even more of a parody of Hard Target than like a straight-up adaptation of The Most Dangerous Game. But in that movie, he's being hunted by a Nazi played by Principal Rooney from Ferris Bueller who collects hunts and collects different races. And so he's trying to hunt somebody who's Latino, and basically the whole movie is about like John Leguizamo trying to convince him that he's not actually Latino and that he's like all of these other races so he can stay alive. And it's sort of the movie feels like John Leguizamo's like fucked up, like crisis as an actor who like has, who has played like a lot of different ethnicities and identities beyond his own actual ethnicity and identity. And so, you know, to literally survive, he's had to like be pretend to be all of these different kinds of people. And the movie is like in this weird Polly Shore crude comedy way, almost seems like about that strange experience of like feeling disconnected from yourself because you're trying to always convince people that you are somebody else completely different to stay alive. Yeah. In the hunt, they're selected because they're like combative, like right wing people on the internet. Yeah. Who are like yelling at people on a tweet or something like that, or like saying, you know, how much they want to kill Hillary Clinton or something like that, like he said. But then, I mean, those things being the reason that they're sourced as players in this battle royale, mm-hmm. or at least like worthy targets. Yeah. And then, like, I'm one of the other films we watched, uh, Surviving the Game, Ernest Dickerson's. Most Dangerous Game Adaptation from 1994 with Ice-T and Rutger Hauer and Gary Busey. Ice-T is the prey and all of these rich guys are the predators and Ice-T is selected just because he's like, he's homeless, like, you know, and they're just sort of like... They like run him through all these tests and just see that he's very physically fit and adaptive as well. So he's worth killing, but would be fun doing it as essentially from the hunter's perspective, why they pick him. Yeah. I mean, it's a sort of like a purge thing where like this person is allegedly not going to be missed and is meaningless to society at large. And so therefore they can be repurposed for the catharsis and pleasure of these, like uh, these insane rich guys. Um, Like one of whom is played by F. Murray Abraham. Another one is like one of the doctors from Scrubs. And it's a sort of a. And Gary Busey's another one. Great motley crew of character actors, I feel, in that movie. Yeah. But that movie also has one of the rich guys bring like his son along. And it's like a rite of passage, like coming of age, Mm -hmm. making you into like a rich man kind of thing. It's the same kind of thing in The Pest where the Nazi principal Rooney has this son who it keeps like really suggesting that he's gay and the whole, like, like, it's just, I don't know. It's, it kind of plays into that weird trope of like the gay Nazi or like the, the white, the supremacist who is racist because of like his actual, like repressed, you know, like homosexuality or something like that, which is kind of a, problematic trope (laughs) yeah exactly it is in both cases though saying like that violence is used by like the majority to like enforce their own identity like doing violence against oppressed groups is like how uh but it's just weirder in the 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 pest case but i guess in one way or another like especially in the case of the pest like 
does kind of show maybe the way that white nationalism does also require on like homophobic violence mm-hmm. and like maintenance of heterosexual men. Yeah, yeah, that the enforcement the same a lot of you know, some of the same techniques that are used to enforce yeah race are also used to enforce gender or sexuality or whatever. Yeah, whereas in the past rather than maybe a Nazi race science, the the structure that is being maintained is I guess late 80s capitalism. Mhm. And and the rich dad whenever he sees that his son doesn't think where this man's worth killing is like appalled and his son is just like i'm just not like you i mean there's plenty of other ways that i mean that relationship is not strictly about economics it's also you know it's a father and son relationship and and a coming of age story in this small part of the movie but also i mean both of those are do kind of show the way that it's not just directed at maybe one target but at multiple yeah yeah i mean i think in all of these movies they're like the specific issue or cause is different but um i guess you see these sort of like same mechanisms of repression of like people forced into situations of committing violence because of their identities uh, because this central power, power asymmetrically powerful force decides to take them on as the the target of of physical repression yeah i mean ultimately what it does come down to is is the different ways of 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 power controlling kind of reality Mm -hmm. like what is allowed to exist which i think ties into maybe another movie less directly but looking at maybe relationships between structures and people and and the landscape is the film figures in a landscape. Oh yeah. Joseph Losey. Yeah. Crazy, crazy movie. Yep. Does anyone ever talk about that as like a body in a space movie, a figure in a landscape? Dude, I feel like just not enough people know that movie. And it's so strange because it just like watching it. I don't know. It just feels like one of those movies that feels like you're sort of like dreaming it a little bit while you're watching it because it's like so it does sort of have this quality that's like reminiscent of maybe other films of the sixties or seventies, but it's also like looking into the uncanny Valley and feels so like singular and kind of distinct from anything else happening that it's just like, I don't know. It's a very strange movie, but it is so much about like these issues of perspective and like mapping, you know, that we've been talking about. Yeah. Well, so the movie for, for those who don't know, stars malcolm mcdowell and robert shaw as these two prisoners who are just being chased by a helicopter across this kind of deserted arid landscape and it's just a constant story of them running and hiding Mm -hmm. i mean in a lot of ways that we've talked about very similar to like kind of a battle royale of you starting off with nothing and having to go and find places or even have to you know, engage in combat to be able to advance yourself and make yourself more survivable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's a, like a cliche to say that the landscape is a character or something, but this whole movie is all about these two guys trying to sort of like understand this environment and figure out how to fold themselves into it, you know, to become invisible, to become camouflaged, finding all of the like crevices and and 
cracks in it that they can squeeze themselves into or even like finding ways to make themselves indistinguishable from it yeah which is a lot of what like feeling playing warzone feels a little bit like well it's a game that's or battle royales are kind of a game where there is this constant feeling that you may be watched yeah yeah or you may be seen just based off of like I don't know, you may have really bad guns or something like that, but someone else could have a sniper scope and is able to see you from across the map. And so that's part of what makes Battle Royales interesting as like a puzzle type game for for a multiplayer setting because or I mean, I guess just in general, but it does build something like a fog of war or something that Mm -hmm. is kind of surrounding you and you're not exactly sure what's happening at a certain point away, but it makes it where someone's able to see through that fog that you can't see through. Mm -hmm. So people may always be able to detect you, whether it's on a heartbeat sensor or thermal optics or just really long sights. Um, But there's this kind of Mm -hmm. constant pressure of being seen and, and to be seen in one of those multiplayer games is means to have to fight to survive. Yeah. There's uh, this book or this movie, I think kind of both of us became familiar with it through this chapter uh, on it in the great book, Shard Cinema by Evan Calder Williams, which I feel like we are perpetually shouting out um, a little bit. Yeah. But it's, it's a great book, you know, uh, fucked my brain up a little bit, but there's a great passage in that chapter on figures in a landscape Um, that I'm just going to read like a line from because he says that, you know, this movie came out, it was not really like received, you know, people didn't see it. People didn't know about it for a long time. It had like no reputation, maybe beyond Joseph Losey autourism, even though it's actually, it's apparently it was written by Robert Shaw too, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. But he says, you know, it had no influence. Um, although Actually, it's mentioned in War and Cinema by Paul Virilio, and he says it was an influence on Apocalypse Now, but he doesn't cite that at all. I think more he just means that figures in a landscape feels like very Vietnam, and there were no movies really made about Vietnam while it was going on. So I think it sort of just feels like a proto-text maybe to like a Vietnam movie like Apocalypse Now. Well, it, to me, it's strange but as as a Vietnam movie. I haven't read this chapter in a second, actually, yeah, like yeah, the yeah. book to a friend but now that you frame it like that to me it's a movie that's made using the same technology used to portray images of vietnam while it was happening but it's just not happening in vietnam yeah it's like it's you know the vietnam war the way that we see it kind of portrayed is about constant surveillance both in images on television but also in like you know napalm raids and and air reconnaissance and those kinds of mechanisms of warfare Um, but i also think the location of it is really interesting because evan mentions that it was filmed in the same part of spain as the spaghetti western cycles just a few years before and you think about when you think about spaghetti westerns i mean one of the like iconic tropes of that genre and of leone's movies is the quote-unquote mexican standoff which is this whole thing you know about perspective about having three gunners who are just locked locked eyes on each other they're they are so overpowered by sight that they cannot act like because it's they just can only look they can't fire um and that is a trope you know that carries over into john woo films and then into video games so it's just very interesting to have this sort of movie about vietnam also be in a 
set in an environment that sort of reflectively points to another kind of panopticonical vision. But I just wanted to read this passage really quick from the Shard Cinema chapter where Evan Calder Williams says that part of the reason why it wasn't really received is because it predicted a mode of viewing that would only emerge later in like drone warfare and surveillance, which he calls distributed sight, quote, the increased possibility that any point in space, seen or unseen, might itself be a vantage point, a point of view, a position from which landscapes, figures, and their activities can be watched without the recording device itself being invisible or even material in the first place. So he says, you know, basically that like in figures in a landscape, it's this movie that is so you're so aware of the camera because it's constantly about monitoring and surveillance. But the camera also casts no reflection. So while weapons of warfare are becoming smaller and more invisible, the camera is also becoming smaller and more invisible. So I just think about like the environment in war zone, like you were saying, how many points of sight there are, how many vantage points there are. Mm -hmm. I mean, also figures in a landscape is one that is directly about the relationship between actor and camera, because the camera itself, though, it is something that is about cameras being able to go places that you don't think of a camera being able to go in this movie. It's contextualized within a helicopter chasing after them the whole time. So the character, the camera itself actually materializes in a similar way to like in Super Mario 64, on the N64, you have this turtle in a cloud following you with a camera the whole time that you can see in mirrors. And so, I mean, in a way that... Oh that my God. I feel like that's a figure in a landscape game because, I mean, even though the... I mean, the turtle's not really an incredible, great character or anything like that, mm-hmm. uh, but it it does literalize the relationship of playing a video game anyway where it is just this this external body at least in third person action games and platformers and things just kind of constantly watching this person die over and over and over again and watching them try to you know circumvent these circumstances um Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean the movie is directly about it's uh, it's just about the relationship between these prisoners and the helicopter there's like no context given yeah no they're just running they're just fleeing in some country for some reason and i mean it's really just like it's (laughs) some kind of divine perfect metaphor for like the cinematic apparatus because it's just like the subjects in the camera constantly pursuing each other endlessly in this like infinite loop of filming which is just again like it does feel very predictive in a way where Obviously, people are thinking about spectatorship and audiences and all those things in relation to cinema, but just the question of engagement and interactivity becomes so much more different when you're talking about gaming and when you're also talking about drone warfare. Like the Evan Calder Williams chapter also recounts this story from a drone pilot talking about this guy who killed, like, probably participated in thousands of drone strikes in his career. And he said this one time. He fired on a group of three guys and there was a, the smoke cleared and there was a crater and he could see one of the guys, his legs had been blown off. And of course it was kind of like, you know, thermal sensor and he could see his, his, the life literally like bleeding out of him. Like he could see him becoming the same color as the landscape around him. And so that just feels like that, like when, 
the inertia of the interaction becomes like, you know, pressing a button or like ending a life, you know, it just feels like those stakes of like spectatorship are even greater. Um, and so it really does, I don't know, figures in a landscape feels like a film that like needed drones to exist to be fully understood. Yeah. There's this one game that I forgot about until right now. Um, there's this game that has, you know, been presented in some museums called Killbox, which is basically a game where there are two computers set up like a game of Battleship, where you're sitting at desks that are facing each other. And mm -hmm. as you sit down and play, one player on one of the computers uh, controls basically a drone uh, gun or maybe an airship gun, but one that's very far away and it's aiming down at the ground. The other computer gives you kind of a first person perspective of somebody running around on the ground. And so the game is one mm -hmm. where the drone pilot is sitting directly across from the person who within the game they shoot at, which is an interesting way to maybe recontextualize that relationship though. It is still, you know, within a video game. Yeah. But I mean, it literally turns like drone warfare turns people into flesh avatars essentially. Or like flesh NPCs a little bit, like in just the way it kind of like creates that distance and disconnect. So I feel like segues into like the next movie you wanted to talk about. Oh yeah, actually the um, kind of well that idea of of like the human body literally being an avatar, the Ratatouille effect. Ratatouille effect, uh, being gamer than Neville Dean and Taylor movie. Fucking from, classic. Was it twenty ten? think 2012 2000 i think i think earlier than i think like 2009 Damn. 2009 yeah Melvin taylor starring gerard butler but yeah i mean the game or the uh the film gamer being this movie that's you know kind of a science fiction movie about a future where all like world entertainment is kind of dominated by two video games mm -hmm. made by the same company one I don't remember the name. It's like uh, it's like Slayer and Slayers and Society are the name of the two. Okay, games. I couldn't remember the non-Slayers one because Slayers the name of the actual like deathmatch mode in Halo, which is yeah. always funny when I was watching the movie. But Society is this game that's kind of like Second Life, but uh, the economic structure of the society makes it where um, people who are on the lower end of the income spectrum mm -hmm. most of the time are led to positions where the only real way they can make money is to be the avatars in this MMO. So you have real human beings being an avatar for somebody else on a computer, you know, controlling them and mm -hmm. kind of living out their fantasies. If you think about the way that like second life and those type of just MMO games that aren't really fantasy, they're more realistic in mm -hmm. their style. Uh, but then also, uh, rather than just people's jobs, they also, in the game Slayers, it's a deathmatch game, uh, kind of a direct gun combat multiplayer game. And the avatars in that game are actually sourced from the prisons in the movie. Mm -hmm. So you have prisoners who are promised a shortening of their, I guess people who are on death row, they are offered a shortening of their sentences if they win this game. Um, and then you have people controlling those bodies as well and, and putting them in direct combat situations rather than in society where 
I mean, people are put into sexual situations and, mm -hmm. and other kinds of like violent situations that don't involve a gun. I don't know. It's, 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 it feels in a similar way <laughs> to like figures in a landscape needing drone warfare to exist, to make, to really make sense as a movie. I feel like gamer, I mean, it's very tapped into the games of that era, you know, second life being really, you know, a thing at the, the late two thousands, but it also feels like the slayers element of it is like not, it, it takes on a different meaning now in the sort of battle Royale genre, I think. I mean the battle Royale genre, but also like the video game broadcasting yeah, like yeah. era where in gamer you have a kid who's a celebrity because he controls this prisoner who is winning everything. And, and you have this kid becoming a celebrity video game player because he's so good at it. Yeah. E the original esports champion, Logan Lerma. <laughs> Jeez. But then, yeah, by the end of the movie, similar to Ratatouille, there's a relationship and collaboration that develops between the avatar and the player. Mm -hmm. Or maybe the, you know, the mind meeting the body that is like executing those commands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's these kind of like multiple layers of control, right? Like from the player to the avatar, to the audience, to the corporation sort of producing the games and controlling everything in the world. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just like, honestly, it's just kind of like maps upon maps, you know, because what the metaphor of, the movie sort of reveals is that like everybody is an avatar for somebody else. Like everybody mm -hmm. is kind of a puppet on a string, even the yeah. puppet masters. And so it's like, a, a, it's just like games within games within games. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, by the end of it, it starts to kind of crash some of these barriers into each other where you have Gerard Butler at the end telling his avatar to like, let him have control mm -hmm. and like, they end up hacking the control system to where Gerard Butler can have free thought and free movement within the game uh, toward the end. And then once he has free thought, he starts leaving the, the magic circle of the game and leaving the play area, which is in the real world. Cause it's, you know, it's real people mm -hmm. in real battlefields and stuff. And he ends up going to the developer's office for the people who made this game. And he's going to go kill the, you know, the tech wonderkin who developed this. And then, he gets there to essentially, I mean, it's different because he's a real person, but kill his God. And then you find out that, that the person played by Dexter, the, or whoever played the character Dexter, well, Michael C. Oh, Hall. Michael, yeah, Michael C. Hall. And then you find out that he also has given up control of something and, mm -hmm. and is, is maybe more vacant of responsibility. Um, but also, I mean, willing, willingly so. Um, because of the conveniences it affords him. We were talking about gamer in relation to Twitch streaming and spectatorship and gaming. Uh, and I feel like in a way, when you think about it, at least in a Twitch stream where you are seeing both the gameplay and the gamer broadcasting themselves, you know, that's almost like, an, a, an additional degree in between, but it's almost like 
playing a human being and gamer like you are your avatar is the gamer who's gaming the game yeah definitely <laughs> there's um part of why twitch streaming has developed all well, twitch streaming's developed kind of with battle royales um it had been used for like video game play for a while but in terms of like singling people out out of all these people as being really amazing and worthwhile mm. uh like fortnite and pubg were were some games that that kind of made professional like twitch streamers that weren't just like competitive gamers to begin with but the thing about twitch streams and video games is that most of the time especially now it's like comfortable to have as like an ambient thing because mm -hmm. it's basically someone offering to hang out with you without them having to know that you exist yeah the podcasting well yeah exactly it's the same as like podcasting where i noticed when during quarantine when i was like by myself uh when my roommate went away for a couple weeks mm -hmm. i started having an inclination to want to listen to podcasts or something because it's almost like having other people you know yeah your fake friendships well exactly and they don't know that you exist or anything like that but because they don't know you exist it's very easy to develop this like fondness that doesn't have to be reciprocated at all and you can fall into moments of you know identifying with the person playing the game and it is in a in a way kind of a a protagonist mm -hmm. like you were just talking about mm -hmm. in the same way that there's this relationship in gamer of of the esport kid who's good at the game but then eventually relinquishes control and is just watching someone who's really masterful and letting them do it and you're just kind of watching it in ways identifying mm -hmm. but i mean i guess that that's what it comes down to with kind of any kind of personality content yeah extracting the personality for monetary gain um <laughs> that's your commodity when you're a twitch streamer is your personality well that i mean so in the book post cinematic effect by Steven Shaviro. There's an essay on gamer, um, but there's yeah, also yeah. one on boarding gate uh, by Olivier Assize that I think I've talked about on this podcast before, uh, but talking about how both of those are about kind of a new cinematic field of effective labor. Yeah. And, and about kind of producing yourself. I mean, obviously gamers pretty directly about this in that you have people who, can't afford to do anything other than let people literally have control of their bodies in the same way that like total recall is about a society where people cannot afford to go on vacation so they pay a certain amount of money to think they went on vacation Damn. and now people can't leave their homes so they get on twitch and tip people to feel like they have friends building relationships over the internet the illusion i'm not gonna say that like any relationship over the internet is like this awful thing because i don't no, think no, it is no. i have a lot of great fulfilling relationships over the internet um but part of what draws people to relationships on the internet whether it's romantic or you know just friendship or maybe just like kind of running in the same circles and like talking every once in a while or just like knowing each other exists is that you're just aware of how much each other spins like on the computer yeah I mean, that's kind of what like unites people on the internet in the first place is, is maybe spending more time on the computer or on their smartphone than they do with people that are geographically located with them. So they, you know, 
they're located close to other people in other ways, whether it's through social media interests mm-hmm. or, I mean, it could also be an influencer uh, that they find because they're doing a certain thing or it gets recommended to them. That's something that's interesting about avatars because, you know, I'm like a, the internet friends I've had for a long time who I've never met, you know, there's those internet types who don't post many pictures of themselves or I just, or even if they do, I just think of them as their avatars. You know what I mean? Um, and so, and I don't know, a lot of times that's like a kind of drag almost, you know, like that's just whatever you're, however you type online and whatever your picture is, is just sort of who you become in the, in the mind's eye of the people you interact with even if it doesn't necessarily reflect like how your voice sounds in real life or what you look like in real life. And in a different but similar way, I was thinking recently about how crazy it is in some way when you're playing Warzone. I mean, obviously there are different skins, which is a weird word to think about skins, like wearing a skin. It definitely is. Um, they're different, you know, uniforms and whatnot. You can customize some. I mean, that's that's how like a lot of like social games work these days and how they make money, especially when most of them are free. Yeah, but in like, but you know, in Fortnite, there's kind of more wackiness and customization, but in Call of Duty, it just sort of puts everybody in like military track, <laughs> like everybody's just a soldier. And, and mm-hmm. so I just sometimes I just think about like, I don't know, I've thought about like, because you see videos of like Justin Bieber or whatever talking about playing Warzone. And I'm just like, damn, you know, I don't know. You, you have no idea who could be behind this sort of like digital, uh, a digital, like, I don't even fucking know what word I'm looking for, but like. What a representation. Yeah, I guess representation or like the, just like a digital conjuring of like this image, this you know type of like what a soldier is or what the military looks like and it could be literally anybody behind it well yeah i mean that's kind of like why you know live broadcasts are a little bit compelling it's just like knowing that somebody else is like at the computer and doing this thing while you're also doing that same thing or you know i mean you could be sitting in the car all day but having somebody sitting somewhere and talking on the radio which of course i mean that's not exactly the most popular example maybe now Um, but I mean, having just like proof that something else is, you know, Mm -hmm. existing alongside, it's a little bit like a fire or a little bit of an effect, kind of like a campfire or something like that, where you just like have something that's just like there, that's just like live and going. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of what the appeal of like, for me, call of duty is, is just kind of knowing that people exist. It brings folks together. Just like, just like real life warfare does. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's what I mentioned earlier. It's not even just knowing strangers exist, but also it's an easy like social activity um, mm-hmm. because games like that that are these kind of very collaborative things are actively engaging. But a lot of it is, especially now when when maybe being able to drive somewhere and, and see my friends and hang out isn't, you know, is yeah. I mean, it's like, I guess, possible, but not exactly the thing a lot of people want to do right now. Yeah. So I think that's it for round one of our battle royale match yeah um but we do plan on uh, having an, a second episode i think getting a little bit more nitty-gritty with some of the games and and some titles and just some of that like more gaming history context that we didn't get into today with this genre 
But just because we're not totally sure when we're going to release this one out, we don't really know exactly when that one's going to be out. So they yeah. could come out at the same time. Or you, you just may be cackling in your headphones right now because your podcast app already has a second one loaded up. And you you're know? just like, they don't even know those. Yeah, these idiots. Those geezers over there, they don't even know that they're going to do another episode. And it's yeah. already going to be in your headphones. But uh, yeah, no, it's going to happen at some point. You know, our follow up like we did with Theme Park Cinema. There's some more notes to get into, more thoughts to suss out and unpack. Yeah, definitely. Do you have anything you want to you want to plug? Not really. I haven't been doing shit these days. A little Um, bit. Yeah, I've just been gaming. Same. I've just been gaming and watching my life away. But I'm pulling up right now our hotline number. Just in case anybody wants to give us a ring, leave us a message, please do so. We would love to hear from our listeners and fans. You can call in at 615-592-1003 and leave us a, a little note. And you can also find us on Twitter, Hotbox the Cinema. Yep. Or email to hotboxthecinema at gmail.com. True. All the places. Uh, and then, yeah, both of our Twitters are are on that podcast page too so if you want to only follow one of us but not the other one that's always there yeah it is always there uh asap sunscreen and trillmore girls yeah but i guess that's that's it for this this audio file but we're gonna get some more battle royale talk uh oh yeah which you know how timely right this game phenomenon is like the joke is almost like washed up at this point but I feel like there's still a, I don't know, there's an intersection with, I mean, this this game design and where it kind of mm-hmm. falls within other game designs, but also the intersection it has with, with movies and, and how each draws from the other. I think it's very interesting. It's still a conversation that not many people are really having. There's, there's definitely more to get into, I believe. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, until then, keep on talking. Get a lot of 
a chicken on Popeye's stop. Doubling it up like I do my cup. Boogie bomb down with a witch hole slut. She be acting like a squirrel trying to get my nut. Checking out young bands in a new band truck. And I bought a crib, nigga, get your land up. Land up. feather slipping, so I'm walking on duck. And I'm not trying to fuck, cause I only want suck. My pocket's as fat as Wadi. And he's trying to see how far he go. Picking out a hole like any mine emo. When they like a nigga, like a video on Vivo. You can get jammed up like a big toe. Take your waist stage with no knee low. Your girl is a bird, yes, on the D low. Cause she act like an ostrich. Give me deep throat. Mm -hmm. We can make a deal, rubber still skin, still skin. When I keep the metal like a bear can, can, can. Think you gonna rob me, nigga, think again, think again. How much you trying to make a billion? Stack a devil way up to the ceiling. Sitting like I'm rocking for the end of building. What is this feeling that I'm building? I'm very bitch pussy, I'm a first skin. Gang, gang, with the gang. With the squad gang, got the whole squad gang. Yeah, push up on them niggas, let my legs hang, hang. Yeah, rhyme with the 40, with the fucking flame. And I got a scar, scar. Y'all niggas don't want war, y'all niggas don't want war. What you coming for? I'm in, I'm in Tizzy Towers, they like us like powers, huh? Get your bitch plow, huh? Diamonds, bitch. Pull that chopper out my jeans, spray that nigga like a breeze. Hey, little bro, we're talking shit. I'ma push up before he leaves, nigga. Why you tryna play? Like you can't get touched. Bitch, we ran up on your squad, and they y'all got bust. One on one, the gang, and I said I trust. Hey, dog, a nigga slut, I'ma make a blush. You can see that I'm the shit, I got in the flesh. My whole gang crush, talking small with bust. Best friend, that's my best friend. Bless me. 
big old booty bitch message from Texas. What's next? I'm a skeet all the nigga can catch me. Catch me. And that's my bestie, my bestie, my best, best friend. Go best friend. Nigga living TTGG and everything is still on fleas. Baby's rolling with me, she gon' smile cause she on fleas. Hundred thousand dollars out my prayer, my shit on fleas. Fuck who 
mad about that pop shit. I don't give a fuck who getting mad about that ball shit. All I know, all I know, all I know is I'm out the bricks. I want a ball, bitch. Hey, hey, fuck a ball, bitch. Just last week I was mentioning the force, bitch. Young street nigga trying to make another fortune. With my daughter playing Fortnite, PS4, bitch. Treat the projects like a motherfucking fortress. Hey, we was trying to pull up in the Porsches. Ooh, we be trying to pull up in the Porsches. Hey, hey, only like the cars with the horses. Ferraris and Lambos, you know we hearing voices. Just last week I was mentioning the force, bitch. Young street nigga trying to make another fortune. With my daughter playing Fortnite, PS4, bitch. Treat the projects like a motherfucking fortress. Hey, we were trying to pull up in the Porsches. Hey, we be trying to pull up in the Porsches. Ooh, only like the cars with the horses. Ferraris and Lambos, you know we hearing voices.
with my homies that she fuck Ooh. And I'm just a sucker with the lump in my throat hey. Like a chump hey. And like a chump hey. And like a chump hey. Like a chump hey. And like a chump hey. And like a chump hey.